Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Major Garrett, yes, CBS, yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this amazing program known as The Takeout, where we are two things each and every week. What, dear audience, are those two things? I think you know them well. Relentlessly curious, steadfastly non-ideological. We're also going to have a heck of a lot of fun this week. You know, we often have to decide with this show in which news environment are we going to live and swim. The absolute news environment of the moment or one that's coming? Slightly over the horizon. Well, as you know, impeachment is sort of the news environment of this week in Washington, D.C., and the Justice Department Inspector General report. And we thought long and hard about doing a show based around that. And then we decided, no, we're going to go over the horizon. The country knows about impeachment. Probably has already made up his mind about it. We didn't think we could plow a lot of new ground there. But the next big story that's coming is what we're going to focus on this week. It's the caucus in Iowa, the primary in New Hampshire, primary in South Carolina. And we have three guests, kind of like last week, a little bit of a CBS family show. We had Nora O'Donnell last week. This week we have younger members of the CBS family. Junior members, you might describe them. Or you might also describe them as the most youngest, bright-eyed, and bushy-tailed of the CBS family. They are our campaign embeds, and I'm going to have them introduce themselves in order of the political contest in which they are covering. And I want you to know that each of these voices you're going to hear are political reporters we sent many, many weeks ago to Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina to live there and do nothing else but immerse themselves in the facts, the events, the politics, and the preparations for the political campaign they're covering. So, first, Iowa. Who are we meeting? Well, uh, my name is Musadiq Badar. Uh, hello, Takeout listeners. Thank you for having me on, Major. Uh, I have been in Iowa since June, June 3rd, so about six months. And uh, it's great great to be back here in D.C. How old are you, Musadiq? I am 27. 27. Yes, Excellent. Yes. And next in line, speak into the microphone. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Nicole Skanga, and I am the campaign reporter based in Manchester, New Hampshire. I'm 26 years old, and I've officially peaked because this is it. This is the height of my journalistic career major. Trust Thank me, it only gets better. Me. It only gets better. And when did you get to Manchester, New Hampshire? Nicole? I arrived at the end of May, so we're going on, you know, just about six months now. Excellent. And finally, last but certainly not least, introduce yourself. 
I'm Lecrae Mitchell, and I'm the campaign reporter based out of South Carolina, the first in the South primary state. Correct. And thanks for having us on, Major, and hi, Takeout listeners. How old are you, Lecrae? I am 26 years old. Excellent. That's what I meant, ladies and gentlemen, when I said bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, energetic, and they have to be to do this work. Let me give you a brief description of what embeds do for us. They do this for all the major networks and cable stations. They provide continuous day-by-day coverage of everything that goes on. Some are assigned to a candidate, and some, as we've done at CBS for a couple of election cycles, are assigned to a state. It's one of the ideas I actually brought to CBS when I came to the network in 2012. The idea that not only should we chase candidates at the top tier, but get in a state and be there and talk to the locals and the state officials who are immersed in not only the present, but the history of their state. That's exactly what the three voices here that you just heard are gonna help us understand. So, first of all, I wanna give each of you an opportunity. By the way, we're at Astro Beer Hall, and uh, otherwise known as Lava Lamp Central here in Washington, D.C. You can see them over my left shoulder. This is a place that specializes in two things, fried chicken and beer. Really, what else is there in life? I don't know. Politics, sports, fried chicken and beer. I can't think of anything else. That will be coming, the fried chicken and other appetizers momentarily. A couple of us have beers. Nicole has a teeny bit of a cold. She's doing a little warm tea and lemon. We certainly sympathize with that. But for all three of you, give us a sense, kind of a hot take. Don't elaborate on everything, but give us your quick, instant analysis of what you've learned and where you think the campaign is in your state, starting with you, Moose, in Iowa. Well, in Iowa, we are getting to the point where folks are finally starting to tune in for the first time. Uh, Over the summer, you had the very active, very uh, politically engaged caucus goers who were coming to events, who were showing up and asking questions. And now you have that next wave of folks who are coming to events, and that's going to start to make a difference. Uh, We are seeing a bit of a change in the top tier of the candidates. Senator Elizabeth Warren was at the top of the polls all summer long. She has seen a bit of a dip, and Mayor Pete Buttigieg is starting to take over. Uh, All uh, among the top tier, you've got uh, Mayor Buttigieg, Senator Warren, Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, and Senator Sanders, and Vice President Joe Biden. They all have a uh, significant ground game, big staffs, and big office operations. So what we're going to see next is who is going to convince some of these undecided folks to kind of jump in their corner. And briefly, I'll help you if you want, but I'm going to let you take the baton. What is a caucus and how is it different than a primary? Well, in a caucus, uh, you stand in a room, you don't vote on a ballot, you uh, gather with uh, everybody in your neighborhood. It's in like a, a community ro- meeting. It's a community meeting. You, uh, The way they're doing it this year, there are going to be two counts. So the first count, you uh, stand in the corner of the candidate that you prefer. Uh, and if that candidate is viable, every, uh, in a room, you need to have 15%. Of, of the room, of, of the population. the entire in the population right. in the room uh, to be viable. And if, say, for example, I am caucusing for Senator Bennett and I am one of uh, 15 people in that room and he's not viable, then I have to move on to my second choice. Right. And what becomes interesting then is uh, all the candidates, all their supporters try to encourage others to come to their corner. Buy from- for your political support. Because you're not viable, your candidate's not there, you've got to move. How you move becomes the second and third level of chess in a caucus, mm-hmm. and it plays out caucusite by caucusite by caucusite all yeah. over the state of Iowa, yep. all in the evening. All in the evening Nothing's on a cold February night. We all night. sit around and wait yes. all day long yeah. and waiting for something to happen. Yeah. Then, it starts to, then it starts in the evening, and you've got to wait mm-hmm. late into the night for the results. Yeah. 
All right, uh, Nicole, give us a sense of New Hampshire. Well, New Hampshire is the live free or die state. That is the state motto, and it's also how politics works because over 40% of voters are undeclared. That means that they can grab a Republican or a Democratic ballot come the primary. That also means that they sometimes tend to go their own way. They love a good underdog. Think of Gary Hart in 1984. It's also the retail state, and we've seen a lot of retail this season, also a lot of rallies. Think about uh, the Arkansas Travelers with Bill Clinton. Think about the Peanut Brigade with Jimmy Carter. But this cycle, the bottom line is that voters are still undeclared decided. And we did a CBS News battleground tracker back in November, which indicated that only 23% of New Hampshire likely Democratic voters say that they definitely know their first choice candidate that they are going to pick on that ballot. And so overall, this is a battle of sort of the top four candidates. So we've got Joe Biden, who has seen a steady decrease since entering the race. Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who's seen a recent uptick. Senator Elizabeth Warren from neighboring Massachusetts, which is important, we can get into right. later. Uh, and she's seen a surge over the summer, is now sort of plateauing. And Senator Bernie Sanders, who continues to be at a consistent around 20%. Uh, but we've also seen some newcomers into this race, including nearby Massachusetts uh, governor, former governor, Deval Patrick. And a lot of people say since he joined, since uh, Mayor Michael Bloomberg joined, uh, it's opened up the race a Things little bit. Things become even more fluid if that more was possible. More fluid. And so this is a historic race because we've never seen this number of candidates vying for that top position in New Hampshire in decades. And I'm going to let Lecrae lead us off in segment two because I don't want to force you to describe South Carolina in 11 and a half seconds. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I'm Major Garrett. We're at Astro Beer Hall. The food has arrived. We have some beer. We have some hot tea. We have three fantastic embeds who we rely on every single day. Back for segment two of The Takeout in just a second. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to the Astro Beer Hall in downtown Washington, D.C. Just a stone's throw from the White House. Fried chicken, beer, politics, there really isn't anything else in life. Oh, and lava lamps over my left shoulder. We love those as well. With our campaign embeds, really, ladies and gentlemen, on CBSN, you're seeing it on radio and on podcast. You're listening to the voice of journalism's future, at least at CBS and maybe other places. Campaign embeds usually catapult from that hard labor of love for a year and a half onto bigger jobs, either the network they work or onto other jobs in other parts of the industry. So that is all what lays ahead of our three guests this weekend. And Lecrae, you are our South Carolina embed. We heard about Iowa and New Hampshire. Please tell us in your own words about South Carolina. I'd love to. So South Carolina hasn't been in the early state lineup as long as Iowa or New Hampshire. It was officially added to the cycle in 2008. And so as a result, something that I picked up on really early was that voters there were surprised that 
campaign reporters embeds like myself were there from New York and DC. Uh, it was not a normal or not abnormal for me to hear you're here from New York to cover us mm -hmm. to hear what we have to say. Right. So it's been the pleasure of a lifetime getting to give voice to people who didn't even realize their voice was really going to matter. And it is. Excellent. And what I've continued to see over the past six months is that with all of the candidates that are in this race, it's hard for voters to really narrow down on who they're deciding. I still hear very regularly at Democratic Party meetings, at different candidate events, that they're still deciding. It's too many people. It's hard for me to look at all these different websites and proposals. And so I think in South Carolina, and I'm sure in other places too, voters are really waiting for this to narrow down before they go all in. And in terms of who we've seen, the candidates that have really been sort of holding on to a strong lead, it's former Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, he, he's had a double, a commanding double-digit lead in the state since the summer, at, at least. And what you see is that he has a really strong hold amongst African-American voters, and that when you talk to his supporters, they may not be as excited about him, but they think that he's the person that can take on President Trump. And for a lot of Democrats, not just in South Carolina, but particularly there, that is the number one objective. That's the thing that always comes up. We need someone who can take on Trump because that's their goal. Right. Yeah. And I want to tell their audience that uh, I've been lucky enough in my life to cover five presidential campaigns. And one of the most important and special parts of that privilege is spending time, a lengthy period of time, in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. I've done it five times. And the reason it's a privilege is because of a couple of things. One, and Nicole used the term, and I want to make sure our audience understands what she means by retail. What does that mean, retail? That means up-close, face-to-face campaigning. Voters interacting with political leaders, asking them questions, getting their answers in a very intimate, tight space. That does not happen, folks after you get past these first four contests. Nevada also has a, con a caucus. I'm aware of that. Our campaign in bed is still on the West Coast. We don't have room for five. We have room for four. So we're doing the best we can. But after those four early contests, this then becomes something like a treadmill at 100, okay? Everyone's flying and zooming around, and there is no more or very little retail direct politics. And one of the things you can do if you're in South Carolina, Iowa, New Hampshire, is have engagement with voters on a regular basis. You see them actually going through this process of deciding. You watch it on their faces. You see them. I'm going to ask you all three of you, just yes or no. Have you met voters more than once in your travels. Same voters. Absolutely. A million times, yes. All the time. So that's what I mean, folks, because these people, it's just kind of a joke in political campaign coverage uh, about these voters. They're like part of the amalgamated union of American presidential voters. I mean, they're, they're, they're like tenured voters. They, they take this, sure. they show up, they go to places when there are really big football games on. No, they're at the campaign event. They're at the rally. They're at the town hall. They're at the house meeting. And your experience with them is part of how this thing actually gets decided. You see it playing out in front of your very eyes. So let me ask you this. What percentage in the questions you've heard so many South Carolinians, Granite Staters, and Iowans Thank you. ask about impeachment? It comes up very little. In uh, Iowa. In Iowa, at least. North, uh, in New Hampshire? 
I've heard a grand total of two questions, and I've probably heard hundreds upon hundreds of questions. Lecrae, in the South past Carolina? three months, I can think of one town hall where impeachment has come up. Ladies and gentlemen, just soak that in. And for those of you who say, yeah, Washington, you guys are just so obsessed with your storylines and you don't hear or recognize or listen to. Well, I, those are three voices who are just telling you what they see day to day. They've been in each of their states for six months. Fair to say, almost never or hardly at all, impeachment comes up. Hardly at all. Yeah. There you go. It's yeah. always me asking. Uh, so far, I want to ask all three of you this. Uh, is Kamala Harris and what happened to her campaign, the rise and fall, the biggest surprise to you in this campaign or something else? Uh, it's definitely up there, I would say, uh, especially because she made a big play for Iowa after September when she said she was moving to the state. She spent a lot of time there and she changed things up a little bit. Uh, early on in the summer when I was covering her, she was doing big rallies, big events. Uh, and towards the end of it, she relied heavily on the retail politics that you just mentioned. Going to round tables, going to people's kitchens, cooking food for them, uh, handing out cookies uh, after the turkey trot. And, and in the end, neither worked. It didn't work. And, and that was a bit surprising, especially because Iowa a lot of times rewards candidates who spend a right. lot of time there. And, and it was surprising for me to see that it didn't work. And Nicole, forgive me, I'm going to skip over you for just a second. So I want to get to Lecrae because there was a sense, Lecrae, especially when Kamala Harris got in the race, that she might have a place in South Carolina that would welcome her with open arms. For sure. And she made that really clear early on, that she wanted South Carolina to be, this is my word, but sort of a linchpin of sorts, and that she was going to be spending a lot of time there. Um, before she dropped out, she had been to that state more than any other candidate in terms of visits, uh, not necessarily days spent, but she'd been spending time there. She had different coalitions on the ground, women for Kamala, veterans for Kamala. And in the summer, she definitely was the hot topic. And it was not uncommon for me to hear from older African-American women that we've got somebody who looks like us, someone that we can relate to. She had definitely been able to mobilize and sort of garner this excitement. But by the end of this past month, that had definitely started to fizzle. And she, she continued to have a slow decline in polls. And when I've asked some of her supporters what they think might have contributed to that downfall outside of money, I've had some of her most ardent fans saying they think that people and voters were not getting familiar enough with her quick enough and that former Vice President Joe Biden, who does have all-time familiarity, it was very hard for them to go to neighborhoods and knock on doors and be like, hey, it's us again. This is, right. our, this is our person again. You remember us talking about her two weeks ago? We're back again. And, and that it just she wasn't picking up steam fast enough. Nicole in New Hampshire, uh, maybe Kamala is not the big surprise. If she is or isn't, let me, let me know, let our audience know. Or if, if she isn't, what is the big surprise to you in New Hampshire? I would say two things, which is to date, Kamala Harris drew the largest crowd to New Hampshire of any presidential candidate, and we've seen a lot of them, right? In Portsmouth back in February, she had over 1,300 people show up at the biggest house party you've ever seen, right? right. And so after that, she, she constantly drew crowds. She was getting 500, 600 people to house parties. She was filling gymnasiums. And so when she backed out of New Hampshire, that's what shocked me the most. Not that she dropped out of the race, but that her team had made that decision to pull all of their campaign organizers out of the state. The other big surprise uh, major has got to be Andrew Yang. I think we saw him go from 
A uh, guest on this very program many months ago. A guest on this very program near obscurity to a big contender and on the debate stage in December. Oh, absolutely. New Hampshire is the live free or die state, but it's also a primary that does not require a ton of organizing like a caucus state. And it's always been, uh, you know, home to a rebel with a cause. And, and he, he certainly a, fits that or certainly advertised himself along those lines. He has a very compelling narrative where he talks about life expectancy decreasing across the country. New Hampshire has seen the highest jump in mortality for working age people between 2010 and 2017. And so when he talks about that and you look into the audience, as we all do, people are nodding their heads. They get it. And let me tell you, folks, that is one of the ways you know something is working when it comes out of a politician's mouth, the head nod, and how much it picks up across row to row to row. And you can only see that in these early states. And we have three people who are there for us every single day. I'm Major Garrett. Stay tuned for segment three of the takeoff from the Astro Beer Hall in Washington, D.C. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. On more than 55 radio stations around this great country on CBS and on all podcast platforms, welcome back to The Takeout. I'm Major Garrett. I want to let you get familiar with these voices and names one more time, so I'm going to introduce them in order. In Iowa, we have, say your name again. Musadiq Badar. And in New Hampshire, we have. Nicole Skanga. And in South Carolina. Lecrae Mitchell. They are CBS embeds who have been living in these states for six months, paying attention to each and every development filing a tremendous amount of video and text back to CBS so we can all keep an institutional track of what goes on there. One of the things that happens in campaigns as they, the pace p- quickens and we suddenly look back and there's a result, how did it happen? One of the ways you go back and look at how it happened is all of the archived material collected in what would otherwise be thought of as this sleepy summer months. Well, guess what? When somebody wins, you go back and look, it wasn't so sleepy. That's one of the reasons we're having this conversation. So, um, I've learned in my experience covering campaigns and then seeing someone elected president in these early states, issues that are of importance to those voters get drilled into the successful candidates' brains. And I want our audience to get a sense from you, because you've been there for so long, what do you hear voters in your particular states talking about the very most? Moose? You can't get through a conversation with the voter without discussing health care. Is there some aspect of health care that is, is specific within that? In Iowa, it's access to health care. Access. There are a lot of areas in rural places where hospitals are closing down. People have to drive 45, 50 miles just to see a doctor. And then when they see a doctor, it is the cost of it. And then comes the cost of the prescription drugs. So almost always you get that question, whether it's uh, talking with the voters or the voters is asking the candidate. And it's also my experience that a lot of times in house parties, town halls, coffee shop visits, people can get emotional. Have you seen that? Uh, early on in July, uh, I was in Davenport and I met a man who had worked for John Deere's for nearly 30 years he had a heart attack and he was recovering he's getting back on his feet seven months later his wife had a stroke and between the two of them he told me they were taking 30 pills a day the cost of it was becoming overbearing they weren't able to afford it and they were starting to go in debt because of this and those kind of stories really highlight the issues that some of uh, the american people feel and are experiencing and when they bring it up to candidates, it makes a difference. It, 
does something when we ask him these questions, but in these small retail places where they are the ones asking and they're sharing their stories, it has more of an impact. And the candidates have to answer it and have to give a clear, concise policy description of what they're going to do to help them. Nicole, in 2016, I was there a lot with my producer, Arden Fari, who's with us today and who's a very big part of this program. We heard opioids all the time. Is it still there? It is absolutely still there. Number one issue, maybe, or something else? I would say it's one of the number one issues with a related issue that is mental health care and mental health care parity. And it's also a really big issue amongst veterans communities. So, for instance, uh, mental health. I went uh, canvassing with Bernie Sanders' campaign. We knocked on the door of a veteran. Meaning you watched them do that. I watched them. That's correct. You're observing. I I was observing the canvassing, which is something that as embed reporters, we do. Because we like to hear what is the spiel that the campaign gives? What is the reaction of folks answering their doors? Are they targeting the right household? So we went to this house, this man in his 50s comes to the door, his name's Jeff Brown, and he is just has this defeated look on his face, and he says, I don't care who runs in 2020, I just, no one's going to fix the problems I've been through, and he had suffered from PTSD, and when we asked what, uh, what the VA had done for him, he went back into his house, and he brought out this giant box of opioids, of uh, prescription drugs, and he just dropped it on the ground in front of us. And I think of that man every single day because it's stories like that that we hear at every town rally. And I should say, you know, Major, this was probably something that uh, became more common in 2016. We talk about retail politics. An opioid recovery center is now a normal retail politics stop in the state of New Hampshire. Wow. There you go. That's a difference because there weren't very many in 2016. Now they're there and that's Nearly where you... every candidate has been to one. And that's where you actually meet voters who are trying to get their lives back together. Imagine that. Lecrae. I would definitely have to say healthcare as well. And in South Carolina, what's interesting is in addition to access, sometimes you have people who are insured who still don't have that access because those hospitals are not there, particularly in rural communities. In South Carolina, you've had four hospital closures in rural areas. And a couple of months ago, ahead of the debate, the Nevada Embed, Alex Ten and I did a piece on what that looks like in both of our states, because our states have seen that. And what was so interesting to me is that you have certain community, medical community centers in some of these places, but they're one in between miles and miles and miles of the next place. So that makes things like having a baby, going to see your oncologist for, you know, where you need treatment regularly. That makes those things darn near impossible in some situations. Because the other thing in those rural communities is access to transportation. So is there a bus that can get you to that nearby place? And it's an issue of economy because is there industry in that area? A lot of times what you see in some of these places is when the big tire manufacturing company plant closes down, so do those people who were working there. And when, when industry leaves a place, everything else sort of seems to follow suit. So I want to do kind of a lightning round with all three of you. I want to mention an issue, and I want you to tell me what your general sense has been in engaging with voters on that. So, Moose, we'll start with you, Nicole, then to Lecrae. Trump economy. Depends on who you talk to. Obviously. Uh, I speak with Republican voters who are happy with it, but a lot of Democrats will tell me, even if they're doing well, they say they recognize that there are a lot of folks in the country who are not benefiting from it. Nicole? partisan issue and folks will tell you there's a three percent unemployment rate in new hampshire but that does not tell the full story 
Lecrae? People's opinions fall along party lines. Exactly on party lines. Yes. Okay. Abortion. Doesn't come up as much in Iowa. Okay. It's not a topic that comes up with uh, candidates uh, or with voters. They get asked about it from time to time, but uh, voters understand where the Democratic candidates stand on it. Nicole? Surprisingly, a fairly nonpartisan issue in New Hampshire. In what sense? In the sense that Republicans, including the sitting Republican governor, Chris Sununu, have come out in support of a woman's right to choose. Lecrae? I don't hear it come up with voters a lot, but the professionals that work in that line of work, they are definitely on party lines. Criminal justice reform. Let's start with you, Lecrae. It's or criminal justice issues. Yes. Either so law and order or doing something for the large prison population. It has become very regular for candidates to have criminal justice roundtables. So they get people from the community together and they talk. That is definitely something that different candidates, Castro, Booker, they put these groups together and they talk about that, particularly helping people reintegrate into communities after they've been released from prison. Nicole? New Hampshire is fighting for medically assisted treatment inside its prison system so that folks that are stuck in this cycle and addicted to opioids can find a way out when they leave. Moose? Uh, it comes up, you meant, uh, Lecrae mentioned Julian Castro. Uh, he's held a couple of roundtables, and it often comes up when voters ask candidates whether or not felons should be able to vote uh, and how they're going to be able to reintegrate into society, what kind of resources are, are available to and them. And would you say Iowans are genuinely open to that? They are. Felons, uh, felons being allowed to vote. As long as it's not a violent crime, I think people uh, that I've spoken with are generally open to the idea. Uh, quick yes or no in, in South Carolina, Lecrae? Doesn't, that issue definitely doesn't come up as much in town halls. So Felons yeah. voting. Right. No. Got uh, Nicole? Open to it. Doesn't come up much. Got it. Uh, how about immigration? There were many pundits, not myself, I don't consider myself a pundit, even on my worst day, who said when Democratic candidates had one of the debates, all raised their hands about criminalizing or decriminalizing, rather, crossing the border without documentation or providing health care through the government for those without documentation, Democratic Party lurched irretrievably to the left and improved things for Donald Trump and his reelection campaign. Talk to me about how immigration is being debated in your state. It comes up when you're in rural areas with candidates. A lot of these rural areas, the farmers rely on immigrants to do some of the work. They used to come be able favorably to... favorably or negatively? Favorably. They want these people to come up and, and move there. What's happening in a lot of rural areas in Iowa is young people are moving out. They're leaving their farms. Uh, so you need more workers there. And a lot of times they rely on immigrants to come up and, and help them with that. And they haven't been able to do that lately. Nicole, 15 seconds. I would just say <laughs> real quick that, um, you know, New Hampshire is within 100 miles of the Canadian border. And so we have ice stops pretty frequently in the Granite State. Got it. Lecrae, I'll get you on the other side of the break. I'm Major Garrett. We're at Astro Beer Hall in downtown Washington, D.C. Stay tuned for segment four in just a second. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Nothing but fun here at the Astro Beer Hall with our three campaign embeds. Lecrae Mitchell, I promised you to lead off. How much, if at all, is immigration being discussed in South Carolina? And if so, to what effect? 
at one of the first debate watch parties that I attended, a voter told me, hey, listen, you're going to be here for a while. Don't let people tell you that immigration is not a topic here. And I did a little digging. And when I remember specifically, I've talked to some researchers at universities, especially in the upstate, in Greenville, which is more conservative, a more conservative part of the state. And I've talked to people who have said within Hispanic communities there, there is a greater sense of fear sometimes, particularly when there was news of these ICE uh, deportations and raids that were pending. Mm -hmm. That was something that I had a couple of people say, that's something that's a legitimate fear. That's not made up. People are concerned. They are worried. It's something being talked about. So I want to give the uh, embeds uh, a moment to describe one of their most memorable moments in their time in their state. Lecrae, we're going to start off with you. Um, we have a lengthy soundbite from an engagement you had with a voter in South Carolina, Republican voter, right? I'll let you take yes. it from there. And so the, it was a part of, it was one of the Trump Freedom Rallies, a small gathering that was taking place outside of the office of Representative Joe Cunningham, who represents the 1st Congressional District. This office was in Charleston, South Carolina, and this group and Joe was, Cunningham is a Democrat. Yes, One he in is, 2018. Yes, he is. He's a Democrat, and taking back his seat is a top priority for Republicans within the state. You'll gather that when you listen to this soundbite. Let's go, Zoe. If you in any way support the crazies in your party and their impeachment effort, I will work day and night and donate everything I can to see that you are defeated in 2020. Signed, John Mark Ford. I mean every word of that. We're outraged at what crazy Democrats are doing. Here, so. What about it um, makes you feel so outraged? We had a fair election in 19, in 2016. 63 million persons voted for Trump. They've tried ever since to overturn the election. Why does that uh, engagement, Lecrae, stick out in your mind? Because he was so frustrated, and you could feel it. I mean, he rolled out this piece of paper and started reading this letter that he had written that morning. And he's like, do you want me to read it? I said, sure, Mr. Marco. And he goes down the list. And it was right outside of his office. And it showed me that this isn't some made-up narrative of us saying, this is what these people who identify this way think in that way. No, this was real anger and frustration. And in his case, he said it would show in his donations and, and how he moved forward in terms of supporting him. So. so, Nicole, I want to give you a chance to set up two sound bites you've chosen. One is an interview you did with a candidate who was in New Hampshire. So talk us about that and let us get set up for that. So this one is uh, I was on an RV with Senator Cory Booker, and we did this long 40-minute interview just back and forth. And I wanted to keep it interesting, but I also wanted to get at the heart of his message. And he's a very moral message if you listen to Booker on the stump. And so he'll talk about the Know Nothing Party. He'll talk about MLK, Martin Luther King Jr. and the Lorraine Hotel. Um, he'll talk about Bull Connor. And so I listed out every historical reference I had heard him make the day before. And I said, where does this all come from? And uh, he got a kick out of it. This whole interview is blowing my mind. It really is. I'm pretty impressed with this interview. No, but I want to know, like, Like, you are a talented journalist. I, mean, I have to say that, seriously. Like, like you're like, she's quoting speeches of me from, like, 20 years ago and, and literally taking... Data, data, studying the data analytics of my speeches. This well, is really fun. Nicole, <laughs> a lot of voters that I talk to, 
Nicole, I know why you chose that soundbite. I think I would too if I were you. <laughs> Listen, it was pitched to me as cho- choose your most fun soundbite. So, I mean, we did. We had a lot of fun on that RV tour. And uh, I think he was a little excited at the moment to talk about something other than President Donald Trump. Got it. Set up your voter interaction for us. So something that we heard a lot about early on was electability, electability, and what does it mean to be a female candidate running in 2020, but also in the wake of the Me Too movement and while President Donald Trump is president. And what I found, I thought I would go out there and I thought that I would see voters perhaps turning away from a female candidate with sort of, you know, I don't want to say PTSD, but looking back on 2016 and Secretary Hillary Clinton. And in fact, I found the opposite. And New Hampshire is a state where you have Senator Maggie Hassan, uh, Senator Jean Shaheen, who have both been female governors of that state, governors of that state. Um, You've had a female Senate majority. You have the, you know, Senate majority leader right now who is a woman. And so, yeah. And so, and New Hampshire will point out that in 2008, they selected a female winner of the New Hampshire primary and secretary, uh, well, then Senator Hillary Clinton. Um, So so we were talking to some voters about this. All right. Zoe? Our candidate doesn't have to be a woman. It doesn't have to be a male. It's who's the best person. Um, but I might be a little biased and would like a female in office. Well, it does have to be one or the other. I mean, you, you, the, literal, the literal reading of that would be there's no other options left. So I, I, I want to make sure it can one or the other. But she's okay with a woman. She's not only okay, but would prefer a woman. Would prefer a woman. And I've heard this from a number of candidates. That said, what's interesting in our latest CBS News Battleground Tracker, if you ask most likely Democratic voters in New Hampshire what they think a swing voter, a moderate voter will go for, uh, 54% say gender doesn't matter, and 41% say that that voter would prefer a male candidate, whereas only 4% say that voter would prefer a female candidate. But when you ask voters, they they're very that. receptive. Right, yeah. they assume that. Exactly. Hard not to assume it, considering we still have not had a female president of the United States. There we go. Moose, set up your interaction. Tell us why. Well, just before I set up that interaction, I want to share a quick story yep. that was a reminder that the candidates we cover are also human beings. Yes, uh, strangely I enough. I was covering Senator Amy Klobuchar. She was asked about being a moderate and working across the aisle. And I, it was a moment that got an applause, so I tweeted about it, and moderate autocorrected to miserable. I didn't notice. At the next event, Senator Klobuchar comes up to me. I'm packing away. She goes, guess who noticed your spelling error? I noticed it. And it was, it was embarrassing for me, <laughs> but she made light of it. And so every time I see her, she kind of reminds me of that, that oh, I made that mistake. Right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, but the, you're not a deplorable. You're just yes, a miserable, just right? Just a miserable. I see. Okay. But the, the soundbite that you're about to hear, uh, I was with Vice President Joe Biden. I had asked him about his position on TPP. Uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, a, a now-defunct trade deal that was yes. part of the 2016 conversation. If you really are nerds and remember that from the trades, uh, compliments to you if you remember. Yes. So he had uh, supported it. He had pushed for it when he was in the Obama administration. And then when he was in Iowa just before this, he said that he supports uh, fair trade deals. And I asked him what had changed. Uh, he gave his answer. And at the next event he sees me at the rope line points at my camera goes watch out for this guy he asks tough questions there he goes Zoe let's listen now this guy's tough man he asks me really tough questions he does come on get in here okay I need a picture stand next to the CBS guy I'll take a picture with you tell him to be nice to me okay I will I I told him to (laughs) yes 
Candidates frequently try to shield themselves with Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina voters away from snarling people like campaign embeds. Well, as you can see, ladies and gentlemen, there's not a snarl on either one of these three faces. Lecrae Mitchell, Nicole Stanga, Musadiq Bidar are three campaign embeds in order. Musadiq in Iowa, Nicole in New Hampshire, Lecrae in South Carolina. Thanks for joining us. It's been a great time. Thank you. Stay for tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial, folks. And thanks again to the Astro Beer Hall here in downtown D.C. See you next week. For more from this week's conversation, download the Takeout Outtake Especial Tuesday morning wherever you get your podcasts. The Takeout is produced by Arden Farin, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, and Ellie Watson. CBSN production by Eric Susanen and Grace Seegers. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, visit TakeoutPodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.